I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Happy holidays, folks. Hope you are enjoying uh, these these special times. And I hope you're getting outside and getting lots of fresh air wherever you are. And uh, again, hope you're having lots of quality time with friends and family and petting your dogs and I guess petting your cats if you're a cat person. But truly, let's... Let's pet the dogs. You know the dogs are the dogs are where it's at, um, folks. For today, we are going to release an episode from back in the day, all the way back in the day to episode one one thirty six, I believe. Uh, this was an episode, yeah, one thirty six. Uh, the sad doctor. Uh, this was an episode that was near and dear to our hearts. Uh, we really enjoyed this conversation. We thought it'd be a good one to play over the holiday season. And listen, I know that for some people, you know, the holidays are a hard time and that makes a lot of sense. And so if you are struggling, uh, just know that there's always someone to talk to. And uh, by that, I don't just mean us here at Sick Boy Podcast. Um, but if you are struggling, just know that here in Canada, the National uh, Canadian Suicide Prevention Service hotline is open 24-7-365. And that number is 1-833-456-4566. So if you need to talk to someone, if you need help, don't hesitate to give that number a call. Okay, hope you enjoy this re-release from back in the day. Um, and we will see you all in the new year. Cannot wait. Absolutely cannot wait. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Michelle. She's a psychiatrist and has depression. Let's talk about it. Radio show host. Hey! Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) Michelle, how's Michelle, it going? How's it going? <laughs> Traffic this morning on the 401 in Toronto. Hey. <laughs> okay, well, uh, trying to think of how we can Just somehow segue into a thing. Well, one thing I can say is that here we are once again, Toronto still. Uh, it's kind of it, frustrating me that you're doing that because... I know, I do it because every week people tune in and they'll be like, okay, but that, like, who cares? Does that matter? But it kind of does matter. We're here in Toronto. And there's something really special about that because it gives us an opportunity to leave Halifax, mm-hmm. show up in a new community, and talk to people within that community and hear their stories and hear about what they're dealing with. But today's guest, Michelle, you're actually not living currently in Toronto. No. You're from London, Ontario. That's right, yeah. You came all the way. Did you come way. in from London? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. You were two lit- hours away. You yeah. were literally there when we called her. And and we were like, oh, my God, it would be amazing if you could drive. We had this whole conversation. Remember, you were there. Actually, Taylor wasn't there. I think I made that call on my own. 
Did yeah. I call you or did I like text? You, you called me. Okay, that's yeah. good. Um, but that's cool. So it's really neat that you wanted to come all the way to the city to chat with us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I lived here not too long ago, so it's nice to come back. Nice, sweet. Mm-hmm. Well, we I, we were actually really excited to to get you on the show because your application was something that to, to us was a little bit unique um, in that you applied to talk to us about your your dealings with with your own mental illness, your mental health issues, but um, you're also a physician. Mm-hmm. So a physician dealing with depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we've, I mean, we have a lot of healthcare professionals that come on the show and they're, you know, they talk about their, their illness, but <clears throat> we love healthcare professionals. We, we really do. do. We really do. They're a lot smarter than us. Yeah. It ends up being a really insightful <laughs> conversation. We learn a lot when we talk to health yeah. people in healthcare. Um, so what kind of physician are you? What do you, what do you do? So I'm a psychiatrist. Um, oh my God, oh, this is even more interesting. <laughs> I thought you were, I honestly I thought, thought you were a GP. Uh, no. I, I thought you were going to say some like specific, like a specialization in something that was completely unrelated, this but this, super related. No, yeah. this changes the game. A psychiatrist with depression. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been doing, uh, the, your work in psychiatry? So I, I went to medical school at McMaster, uh, in Hamilton and I graduated there in 2011. And then I did five years of um, my psychiatry residency here in Toronto and I finished, um, just early last year. So I've almost finished my first year of practice as a, a staff psychiatrist in London. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. For the people who at home who don't know, and we've gone over this a few times, but what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? Mm, yeah, it's a good question. So, um, a psychiatrist, uh, the main difference is that a psychiatrist has the ability to prescribe medications. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've gone to medical school, um, and done sort of the, the standard training that a surgeon would have say, mm-hmm. um, but then have gone or chosen to sort of subspecialize in psychiatry where psychologists, um, you know, have a lot of training in psychological um therapies but don't prescribe medications mm-hmm. right okay. mm-hmm. would there right. be a where like is, is there a is there a number of crossover crossover areas between like that when you go when you start to specialize in psychiatry like is there a lot of crossover in terms of like the type of like education that uh that a psychologist would be getting yeah absolutely so in our psychiatry this is just for us to like understand this further and like yeah else. yeah yeah it's great taylor thank you so much <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah just providing insight you know <laughs> Yeah, we're going to cut all this out because this doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it's just superfluous. Just for us. <laughs> yeah. So our psychiatry residency has a lot of therapy training, too. So we have a certain number of hours that we have to um, do cases in and a variety of different therapy modalities, much like a psychologist would have. But mm-hmm. then there's the addition of, you know, what's the medication management of all these different conditions. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm just actually starting my own poll that is going to start. It's going to become like an, like an Instagram poll. Thing. No, not an Instagram <laughs> poll. It's more of like a as we talk to more doctors. Just my own personal for my own personal understanding. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering for my own personal poll collection. <laughs> yeah, are you just, keeping these stats. You, collector. You're keeping yeah, yeah. stats in your head, or you're writing them down somewhere. Well, I'm going to keep them in my head for now. But like once they become too big for my brain to remember, then I'll start writing. It's them. It's very legit. Head. Very very legit. Which, speaking of writing, the question's actually about that. Um, do you have shitty penmanship? <laughs> we had d- a big conversation. I don't about actually. This. I can show you what my my penmanship looks like. It's okay. very it's very good. But there are oh a lot God, of doctors with shitty. Yeah. What's up with that? As a doctor, what's up with that? 
Why don't I, you guys all write in block letters? I don't know. You know what? I think this is the advantage clear. to electronic medical records because then you yeah. don't have to rely on someone else's notes where you can't decipher what the hell they're trying to say. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of wild that, mm-hmm. that it is kind that. of wild, yeah. very wild. Uh, so that's uh, you're one for the one for the good guys, one for the yeah. people with the, the good penmanship, and mental nice. notes, mental <laughs> notes. Uh, so far, I get zero for bad bad penmanship, but we'll see how this progresses. Okay, yeah, we'll keep you all up to date. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, what's your so? We usually <laughs> you're a fan of the show, so I mean, you know that we 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 typically go in some type of some type of chronological order. We try to make some sense of that. Mm-hmm. What's your what's your history? What's your story with depression? Because that's that that's what your that's what your issues are with. Yeah, right? yeah, and my my motivation for for kind of coming on the show. I mean, first of all, I, I think what you guys do is is amazing in terms of um, sort of reducing the the stigma and and vulnerability that people have with with all kinds of different illnesses. I think it's wonderful. But um, I think the I- issue of sort of physician health and wellness, particularly in the area of mental health, is something that. I mean, mental health in general is is stigmatized in kind of the population and it's Mm -hmm. moving towards less so. But within medicine, I mean, it still has has miles to go. So, um, you know, I that was sort of my motivation for kind of coming on. But, um, yeah, so I can sort of talk about my own experience. Um, My my medical school training was fairly uneventful in in terms of depression, but very eventful in other ways. Um, And then in residency, um, which is kind of the time where we choose to specialize in in our our field, Mm -hmm. um, I was in my fourth year and I was chief resident, which sounds more exciting than it is. It basically is a lot of administrative duties. Sounds pretty dominant. Did you wear a badge or a star or a hat? No, but they should create that. Yeah, Yeah. a special hat. (laughs) Yes, like a silly hat. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like a chief should wear, (laughs) he should be wearing some type of hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds a lot more sexy in like Grey's Anatomy Mm, and stuff, but no. Um, Brian's a big fan of Grey's Anatomy. Are you? Huge. Yeah, huge. He's been binging it lately. He's mentioned it on every show we've recorded in the past week. I I have a lot of like secondhand um, Grey's Anatomy knowledge, so and firsthand. Oh, okay, okay. Have you seen Scrubs though? That's like the best medical. Dude, show. Scrubs is my jam. Oh, it's the yeah. best. Yeah, best medical. Most, show. That's the most accurate Beautiful. medical show, right? It is. Is it actually? So, so <laughs> not like the portrayal of the actual like illnesses or procedures, but but the portrayal of like the relationships and the the struggles and stuff. A hundred percent. Yeah. Re- really interesting. Yeah. Has anybody watched Children's Hospital? Dude, yes, what that's. That? I think that's the most accurate representation. <laughs> oh my god, it's it's one of one of honest to god, I think one of the funniest television shows I've ever watched. It's really funny, but it's like absurd comedy. Oh, and it takes place in a children's hospital. Um, what, and you know, children's hospital, absurd comedy, mash those things together, and it is just rife with humor. Oh uh, my god, yeah. it's really funny. It's what other so, uh, so what other up. shows can we? Has anybody seen Good Doctor? <laughs> has anybody seen People the, are uh, raving about the Good Doctor. That's a E one show, is it not? Is is the Good Doctor E one? <laughs> I have no idea. I just threw that out there. E one probably have is. fingers and everything these days. <laughs> um, so so you, you you don't have a silly hat. I don't. Yeah, no, sadly, yeah, that's of. that's where we got there. No, no silly hats. But anyway, so so that was the year that this sort of all went down. Um, and it kind of started off with, um, so I had, 
chosen to um, donate one of my kidneys, um, which is, I guess, a bit of a different story. But well, like, as a hobby, like, like, yeah, of... were you prompted by that by anything, or were you just like, no, I, think I wasn't I'm give like, one away. I wasn't paid. I wasn't like, you know, held ran- for hostage for Wait ransom a minute. or anything. But like, no one you knew in particular was like, I need a kidney now. Like, it was it, it was an anonymous want- donation. Yeah. You just woke up one day and were like, ah, fuck it, I don't need them both. Okay, wait a minute though, it, isn't that like pretty? radical to do because you're you're fairly young as well right mm-hmm. and isn't that because i like, i actually knows said if you might need a kidney someday so i well <laughs> i read something i read something about um kidney donation mm-hmm. once and i was like immediately i was like i want to do that mm-hmm. like i'm gonna donate my kidney so i was like driving the car with my mom and my girlfriend and i was like guys i think i'm gonna donate my kidney and they're like are you fucking nuts and they like they whoa, gave they, me whoa. like it both gave me like an insanely hard time about it. Mm-hmm. Well, is it because um, the, is it because it's like, well, who knows if like in three years the kidney that you have left exactly. fails? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're so, like, damn, I gave the other one away. So, and when I was looking at it as like, oh, it's a selfless thing to do this, they were like, you're being selfish because mm-hmm. you know we care about you, yet you could be you know fucking up your own health. Uh, so I, I know, and I think that's a little bit of bullshit. I mean, I, I think. It, I, Dude, totally. I agree with you, yeah. which is why I wanted to do it. If someone wants to it. fucking donate their shit, let them donate it. It's not like you're giving up your... It's not like you're giving it away and you don't have one to live with. Mm-hmm. You're giving it away because you're going, right now I'm a healthy thing. Look, yes, of course, in the future you might get eat, need another I'm one. I'm just saying, I'm yeah. just devil's advocate. I totally I totally agree with you, Jer. And like, yes, I was feeling that exact same way. However, it did... It's it your did, body, Brian. It did, it did change my mind from being like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, I want to do this right now to like, uh, maybe I haven't thought about this enough type of thing, which mm-hmm. was enough to like push it or put it off. And you know what, Brian? About it. Because of that, someone died. Died. And yeah, your mom and Chelsea are, are, are it's their fault. Dude, that got so heavy. That's, that's their heavy. fault. <laughs> Have you guys donated your kidneys? No. Well, you, dude, yeah, I'm yeah. keeping my kidneys. Well, I don't think they I, take yours. I don't think they sorry. take mine, and I need them well, desperately. You fucking killed somebody, too. Oh, my and God. So hey, did you, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So did you. Okay, so wait, wait, wait. Like, the only person in here who isn't a murderer is Michelle. That's we right. still haven't gotten past the funny hat, really. Yeah. So you donated your kidney. No, wait, so, but, but you donated it for, you. this was just a... What was the thing that made you feel like you wanted to do this? You know what? I, I mean, it's it's a question I've been asked a lot. And, and I had similar reactions from family and friends. They were like, what the fuck? Like, you know, looking at me like you had five heads. I get it. You're a stronger <clears throat> and better, better person than me. So you wow. like, actually persevered through and did it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I feel you. Keep going. No, no. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it was sort of previous medical training and, and looking at how shitty life on dialysis is for people. Yeah. And um you know, I looking into it and, and kind of um, seeing that really the, the potential risks to you down the line, like they screen everybody very, very carefully and the likelihood that then you're going to go mm-hmm. on and develop right. um, difficulties yourself is is very low, although, you know, not out of the realm of possibility. But um, yeah, it, it seemed like something in terms of weighing kind of risks and benefits that I could do that could potentially help someone else to a significant degree Ooh. and at minimal cost to myself so i thought mm-hmm. um and so i i went ahead and did that so that surgery actually i was matched with somebody that was like a, a perfect match um it was successful 
Um, what do they I've do? Heard. Is there an app? Do they swipe? Right? <laughs> they it's, find, it's like they Tinder. They yeah. Find your kidney match. Um, yeah. No, I have no. I've, it's all based on blood tests and stuff that you know. I, I don't honestly. Oh, it is. Understand. It's more complicated than the swipe. That, okay. It yeah, is. Yeah. 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 A Sounds like a good app idea, though. If you're saying, <laughs> find your organ match. Um, Organmatch.com. Sorry. <laughs> And, uh, and, and yeah, so I, I had the surgery, um, and was in the hospital a little bit longer than anticipated with some complications. Um, and it, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty tough person and I thought, oh, you know, this is going to be fine. Um, and I remember feeling like pretty humbled by the experience, um, Ooh. that, you know, it, it was a little more intense than I had suspected. Um, but you know, recovered fairly well and had taken probably about four four to six weeks off of work at that time. Um, so I came back to work. I think I was back for all of two days and then my father died. Um, so, and that wasn't, you know, an entirely unexpected. Um, he had been ill for, for quite some time, but, uh, what was the, what was the cause of death? Yeah. So he, um, he had Alzheimer's dementia. Um, yeah. And was kind of living in a a long-term care facility. And I think, had pneumonia and aspirated and, mm-hmm. and became uh, septic and, and passed away. So um, not unexpected, but still obviously, you know, yeah. a, a huge event. Um, and so then, you know, I, I sort of thought long and hard about it. And, you know, these these sort of events, along with, you know, all of the other kind of stresses and, and kind of burnout that oh, it's common in a lot of physicians kind of culminated into, you know, me thinking that it'd probably be a good idea that I take some time off. So, um, I took some time off from my residency program, which was, um, a really difficult decision in and of itself to make because, you know, it's admitting that you, you're struggling, right? And, right. and doctors don't do that. Right. <laughs> we're, yeah, you're we're, not allowed. You're, you're doctors. The, you're, right. the, you're the ones that don't get sick. We're yeah. very shitty patients. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're um, also not hu- human at all. You're these, like, right, robots, robots that yeah. are just yeah. meant to, you know. Like your teachers or your your parents. Yeah. 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 And even in psychiatry, which you think like that out of all the specialties would be a bit more understanding and humane, like not, not so much. So, um, so yeah, I was, I was off on leave (laughs) and then developed, um, you know, the sort of classic symptoms of depression and, um, probably started, uh, drinking a little bit more than, um, than I had in the past. And that was kind of within normal limits, quote unquote. Was that like like a like your almost kind of coping mechanism and 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 were you drinking alone at home or were you like going out and so mm-hmm. mostly drinking alone at yeah at mostly home? alone at home um, yeah and and not to like you know a, a great degree but instead of you know like the one kind of one or two glasses with dinner it'd be three or four and right. you know it just sort of adds up over time um, yeah and then I started feeling suicidal and that was yeah and that was something that I'd never experienced before um and it got to the point where I had a plan um and I think the the interesting thing and and you know maybe we'll get to this a little bit later but um the the rate of suicidal ideation and completed suicides in physicians is much higher in the general population and interesting interesting. yeah is is there any what's the correlation what's the is there any evidence to suggest why that is yeah i mean i think completed suicides probably for the reason that we know how to do it right that's what i was gonna say it was like you guys know how to just really 
yeah. no pun intended, but like be, pull the trigger. Like yeah. it's like, this is exactly how it should go. Yeah. And this really should do the trick. Well, we yeah. talked to Mark, uh, um, yesterday mm-hmm. we spoke with a guy named Mark Hennick and he was talking about how a very large portion of people who, uh, want to commit suicide, Google how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Wow. So this is something that I'm, um, how old are you around this time? This is. I'm 31 now. I was probably 28 or so. Okay. Now before this, before all of this, like Michelle from age one to, you know, 25. Yeah. Had you dealt with depression or, or any sort of mental health issues that to your knowledge? I mean, nothing that was probably clinically significant. Like I, I think physicians in general, probably the sort of type A anxious, um, mm-hmm. obsessive compulsive, mm-hmm. um, spectrum of, of the world. Sure. Um, but nothing that was, you know, I needed to take medication for was interfering with my functioning. Um, yeah. in, in having said that, um, as, as a medical professional who, who dives into this territory quite a bit, um, how common is it for people to, to, fall into this state of depression or like suicidality after, after a few pretty like traumatic or intense events in their life. Mm-hmm. Is that, a, is that like a, a really common thing or, or is it more so people just tend to kind of have this going on? Cause like we were talking to Mark and Mark's, mm-hmm. Mark's situation is he's thinking back like, well, I've been depressed basically my, as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about, growing up and you know my parents raised me this way and there was a lot of like abuse at home and mm-hmm. and I went through this and I went through that and it turned me into a very introspective child and I spent a lot of time thinking on my own and it, so it seems like this gradual slow uphill climb it's, to get to depression whereas with your mm-hmm. case it's like yeah everything was fine and then I went through 3 months of like hell for a moment mm-hmm. and and then I was suicidal mm-hmm. it d- is is there is there one that's more common than the other or I yeah I think it's a great question and a, a probably a spectrum of people that so there's certainly those similar to Mark who would have you know a a longer history of proneness to depression or lots of factors kind of early in their life like lots of adversity and things that they experience that would would make them more susceptible to that and and there's people that I see and treat clinically you know that um say I can't remember a day when I wasn't depressed Mm. um but probably equally as common um but arguably easier to bounce back from with the right supports Ooh, is yeah. depression or sort of uh, struggles with mental health that are more directly linked to certain events or yeah. stressors in life. Right. Like I, I feel like I was probably maybe a little bit easier um, to kind of resolve than, than somebody who had a lot of adversity, you know, yeah. growing up and, and it's of course comparing apples to oranges, but um, like yeah. long-term childhood trauma versus like the the death of a family absolutely, member. absolutely, mm. they're different, yeah. right? Yeah. And and the symptoms may look similar, but how you sort of tackle it and try to um, deal with recovery is is probably vastly different. Yeah. So if you were if you were treating somebody like like two, I guess people with these kind of contrasting histories, mm-hmm. um, would you what would you do differently for? No, Siri. History, not Siri. 
<laughs> Whoa, that's Damn. crazy. She needs to get into everything. She, yeah, she, doesn't she? she really is just a nosy, <laughs> nosy AI. <laughs> hey Siri, chill. <laughs> um, yeah, but what would you do? What what different? Chilling. Dude, currently chilling. Mine heard me too. Here is what I found on chilling on the internet. <laughs> Isn't it crazy that our phones are always listening though? Oh, yeah. For some reason, mine doesn't. <laughs> hey Siri. <laughs> Yeah, she, she never hears me. Mine's, yeah. My to, series deaf. Mine's to deaf on. too. Yeah. Hey to Siri, are you listening right now? I don't have the answer to that. Oh. There's something ominous about her yeah, not knowing. It's very vague. Yeah. She should know that. She, really? she just heard you. <laughs> that's like saying, "Hey, that's like me saying, hey Taylor, are you listening to me right now?'" And you're like, you're like "I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I'm hearing what you're saying." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Taylor just responds oh, yeah. by saying, "I, I don't, don't know if I have the answer to that." <laughs> <laughs> Would you like me to search? <laughs> search where? Why are you talking like that? Uh, so yeah, is there is there, a, <laughs> is there a different approach? Two different approaches. Um, I mean they they probably overlap a bit, but I think that for the person who has um, more of the sort of childhood trauma and adversity, um, the emphasis is often much more on um, psychotherapy compared to medications. They they can play a certain you know role to a degree, but. Um, yeah, important is, is kind of long-term therapy. Right. I, yeah. um, I thought about, uh, I think almost any time we've approached mental health, especially dep- it seems like almost always certainly with depression is where my mind kind of goes to this territory, which is, and we talked about it yesterday, uh, that if, is there a certain role that, and especially as a, as a physician, as a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. is there you know, that can mindfulness, can we use mindfulness to develop, uh, to develop like good triggers? Like when you start having thoughts, like using mindfulness to go, okay, well, when I, to train your mind in some way, if you have depression to go, okay, well, I'm starting to think this way. And then to recognize that you're thinking that Mm -hmm. way and use that like suicidal thought as a trigger to go, Hell, I need. I need to go talk to somebody, mm-hmm. or I need to whatever your method of co- of of positively dealing with that. Um, like, what's your? Is there any of that from like a, a from like a professional standpoint as a psychiatrist? Like, you start. Did you when you started to have these thoughts or googling things? Were, mm-hmm. Was there any point where you were like, "Whoa, dude, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm like, I'm I'm the patient not normal. at yeah. the same time." <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and absolutely there's, there's a role for that. Um, I think I'm, I'm fortunate in, um, in that I did recognize that this wasn't normal and this was really scary. So mm-hmm. I had, um, as I said, kind of Googled, um, you know, potential ways of, of killing yourself successfully. And I had ideas, um, based on, you know, sort of knowledge, um, and our training, but, um, I had a dog that we unfortunately recently had to put down, but who had epilepsy. And so he was taking like this old school barbiturate medication that we don't use in people anymore for seizures, but that they still use in veterinary medicine that I had huge quantities of because, no one he was on it forever he was on it for years and years and no one thinks like you know we need to dispense only a little bit of medication for your dog right so i had that i had um a whole bottle of um hydromorphone or dilaudid which is like a really strong opioid medication from my surgery that i had that i didn't end up taking um and so i figured that the amount that i had was way beyond you know the the lethal dose and to sort of put a bow on it, I could put a plastic bag around my head and duct tape it um, Holy to, fuck. to seal the deal. Like, 
When did the light switch go off where you went, whoa, that's, whoa, Jesus, that's fucked. Mm -hmm. I was just, I went down a real deep, dark YouTube hole into the end of my life Mm -hmm. in a really, like, horrific way. Yeah. Um, Or was there a light switch or was it, like, kind of like what Taylor was saying, like, Mm -hmm. was there a point where you went, oh, shit, whoa, that that almost happened, fuck. Yeah, yeah, there was, thankfully. Um, And unfortunately, there isn't for a lot of other physicians, but... Um, yeah, it was probably a few days of, of thinking about that and sort of planning. And, um, then I had, so I was fortunate enough at this point to be connected with a psychiatrist of my own. Um, and she's wonderful. Hi, Hillary. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I had an appointment with her the following day and I said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not doing well. I'm going to bring these things to our appointment to give to you because, Um, like the like the pills and stuff and the duct tape and everything cuz I need to get it out of my house basically. Did you give her all of your plastic bags? I did. Yeah. I don't know if she's hopefully she still doesn't have them, but I mean, if we were taking them out of my house, it's like Jesus. Like yeah. all the grocery bags oh, collecting yeah. these for like 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck load yeah, of them. Yeah. Everybody's got that Sweet. place where they keep all their plastic bags. Oh, yeah. yeah. From the uh, from like Sobeys or Oh from, yeah, just yeah. overflowing. It was a special in a drawer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was a big gift that I gave to her and who, who knows what she did with it. But um, Lots of drafts. she made a ton of money at the yeah. recycling depot. <laughs> she brought them in and she's a millionaire now. She quit her. She quit her, so the she quit her practice, dropped you as a patient. Yeah, she's I know. She's dough. just rolling in it. <laughs> um, yeah, but fortunately she realized like, holy shit, you know, this yeah. is not good. Um, and I think also sort of in, in knowing my history, I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about anything. I had a, even though I was a, a psychiatry resident and, and very comfortable with talking to other people about their difficulties, you don't talk about your own, right? No. And so I think the fact that she um, she recognized that, wow, I'm, you know, I'm actually kind of concerned about how I'm doing and this is serious and a big deal, um, you know, she, she really took that to heart. And so she said, I think you need to be admitted um, to the hospital. Um, and... Then it became a question of where do you go um, in terms of an inpatient psychiatry unit when you are a psychiatry trainee in the city that you've done all sorts of rotations in at all of the hospitals in Toronto. Like, were you afraid that this could hinder your ability of getting a job? Yeah, that, um, encountering other residents, encountering supervisors that, you know, you've worked with and that, you know, maybe think very highly of you at work, but holy shit, I'm going to come in as a patient, you know, what? Yeah. Which speaks to, which speaks to the, the work that we need to do as like a society in terms of how we think about people with mental health. Cause it's like, for some reason you feel like you're not allowed to be, to have a mental illness. Like it's like, it's like you're, you have to be exempt from, from that category. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it any, why is it any different than a a physician have his diabetes or CF? An oncologist who's like, Oh, I got cancer. Yeah. Well, fuck, I can't go to work and let everyone know all my oncology buddies will make fun of me. Exactly. You got cancer. You're an oncologist. Dude, Dude, how are you supposed to get cancer, dude? Like you got all the things, like all the, like, what are you doing? Yeah. You remove the cancer. (laughs) Yeah. You can't have the cancer. Which is so crazy because it's like, no one is like, dude, this shit doesn't discriminate. It doesn't. But, there's something different about mental illness, and, right? And, and so but the other thing is that it, like, you're also working in an extremely stressful environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my my mom, uh, when she graduated 
university. She went into social work um, for a year and then decided to to quit because she was like, I can't I can't go and listen to people talk about their stories all day and then not bring it home with me. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you find that like your your role in like being a psychiatrist makes it more challenging to deal with that? the mental health side of things for my, like personally. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. I mean, I think when I'm feeling well, which is 99% of the time, it's, um, it's not too difficult, but there are certainly those days where, you know, and it's, it, it feels embarrassing to admit, but I've sort of had the thought like, holy shit, that's what you're like bent out of shape about today. And like complaining about like you as this patient and Mm. I'm thinking about my own stuff that I'm trying to deal with. And it's this sort of comparison, you know, um, which, and you know, is, is not ideal, but your mind sort of does go to that sometimes. Um, (laughs) yeah. So, so it certainly can, especially if you're not taking care of yourself and and feeling well. I've always been kind of fascinated with that, with like just what you asked there, Bri, about like, you know, taking it home, like, and how we all, we all, uh, carry, we all carry those. If we, any of us who work in that field, like in the way that we talk to people all the time about whatever it is, the thousand things that we've talked about, mm-hmm. that was, that's what a question that comes to us quite often is like, how do you deal with hearing stories of like all these, you know, quote unquote sad stories, which are never really well, they, they are sad, but we we find we find we find we find they are sad. We find the humor in it. Yeah, so we, that's, end, that's we end up bit. having these like yeah. really really like eye opening and and you know usually laughter filled conversations. But mm-hmm. the core of what they're talking about is quite sad. You're dealing with a health issue that may be fatal or ter- or yeah. chronic or whatever, mm-hmm. and. And well, how we, we all how we all deal with it when we leave the room. You yeah, know? Mm. Uh, that's right. I mean, it happened right there. You just yeah. you just sat here and told us that you were like, well, I'm going to take a bunch of barbiturates and t- put duct tape around my neck with a plastic bag over my head. In that moment, it was like, oh, Jesus. Mm. But then two seconds later, we're laughing about mm-hmm. you trading all your art supplies over to your fucking <laughs> psychiatrist. Like and we're being like, oh, cool. Thanks. You're, you're not going to use these. Yeah. Um, how do you guys deal with it? I, I I think that we I think that's mm. how I, I don't yeah. think we need to deal with it because we're dealing with it in the moment in the yeah. conversation right and so the humor is the humor I've never really thought that because uh, I've never thought about how I deal with it really mm-hmm. I've thought about it in the way that someone's asked me and I've gone yeah it doesn't really affect me in a negative way like I, I've never mm-hmm. I never I've never gone home and gone oh man like but that it's was because so heavy it's, it's because Be- in the moment we are. We're dealing uh, above with anything humor. else. We're a comedy podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And so you you can't fucking do that as a clinical psychologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know you right. can't be like, you know, I mean, if you brought that stuff into that that one appointment, and then she started making jokes about. You know, oh, I got to take all these bags mm-hmm. and add them to my closet now. I've already got too many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how the fuck do you think you would have dealt with that? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so I think it's because we we have this. There is this bubble. This is like this is kind of a unique space to be having that sort of conversation. Or we're trying to make it not so unique in everyday life. But I think that because we make it that we don't we don't we generally don't leave the room and go. Oh, yeah, man. like the laughter is like we're dealing with it as it comes in with using humor. And yeah. I guess, I guess, yeah, 
Like, that, that's I what the show is supposed yeah. to be about. We don't just realizing it now. And I think that's <laughs> it's so special about what you guys do because it's the silence that kills people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And especially when it comes to mental health difficulties. So the fact that you're just <clears throat> shedding light onto it and talking about yeah. it is is probably enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? I remember when uh, when we've talked to Leighton, like one of our first guests, mm-hmm. and we you know I told somebody or I mentioned to somebody who we had talked to and what we had talked about, and they were like, "Oh my god, dude! Like, how did you how did you go on with the rest of your day? Like, how sad was that?" And I was like, "Man, we left." And it was like, I felt like a million bucks. Yeah. We left that recording like going, that was the most fun. Yeah. And it's like, we talked about the end of this guy's life for an hour and his preparation for death and like leaving his son behind and yeah. his wife. And somehow that conversation, we all left feeling happier and lighter, which mm. is crazy mm-hmm. or it sounds crazy when you, when you don't. When you don't put the context of, oh, we're a comedy podcast yeah. or whatever around that. It doesn't mean that it's not sad, sad and heavy. But we, but somehow we were able to leave that space yeah. feeling better about ourselves mm-hmm. than worse. Yeah, which I, I think, again, to like echo that point that like a, a psychiatrist can't necessarily hmm. use the humor in the same way that we can because we record a podcast and you need to be more of like a professional offering advice. Yeah. But uh, we didn't need to go to school for eight years to do it. The other thing is, I think that sometimes, I mean, the great thing about this podcast and the dynamic of of Taylor and Jeremy and I doing it together is that, you know, some days I don't feel on Mm -hmm. and some days I might feel tired and like I can't really emotionally get invested in the person's story that we're talking to because I'm in a bad spot personally. Yeah. Um, But like Taylor and Jeremy will pick up the slack or or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't think that you like w- we record a podcast to put out once a week. Mm-hmm. But like as a psychiatrist, if you're having to go in and, you know, work eight, 10, 16 hours a day, you know, sometimes hearing people's stories, it's like yeah. how much more emotionally draining mm-hmm. is that when you're yeah. going through it all day long, yeah. every day of the week. Right. So I think that those are some of the challenges that aren't necessarily comparable to what we do, mm-hmm. even though. Um, we are still trying to have these like in-depth detailed yeah. conversations with people. Yeah. And I, I, I certainly, I certainly do experience that. I think that's why it's, it's really important to, to have a full life outside of medicine. So I have a, I have a son, I have a hus- husband and lots of kind of hobbies and interests that, that I really try to cultivate because it's very easy to take the work home with you. Yeah. Um, and I've chosen an area of psychiatry that, um, I feel very passionate about and that's fascinating, but can really, um, I mean, it has the potential to sort of eat away at you. So I, um, I don't know if I mentioned this in my application or not, but I, I treat, um, still serving members of the Canadian forces and veterans and RCMP officers. So the, the primary focus of our clinic is, is, um, people who have PTSD from Mm -hmm. operational stress injuries. Um, and so it's, it's wonderful. And then I have a deep respect for for the population but hearing you know these incredibly traumatic experiences um hour after hour day after day it can really weigh on you sick boy podcast we'll be right back after this word from our sponsors think of your favorite one hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it 
I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Coming back to you being hospitalized, mm-hmm. and, or at least <clears throat> the recommendation that you be hospitalized, yeah. and you having this sort of, <laughs> oh, fuck, don't want to go into work mm-hmm. for everyone to see, mm-hmm. what did you choose to do? What was you, How did you take that recommendation? Yeah, so I remember thinking back, and, and in that moment, I actually didn't really care what happened, um, but I think she thankfully was a little bit mindful or, or cautious about where to send me so in the end I ended up going to you know one of the hospitals here in Toronto um, and a fellow resident was on call um, who ended up being in my study group for our um, subspecialty exam Uh, but he you know, he was very respectful of the situation and didn't get involved. Um, he, I think he left the room when they were sort of talking about me and, and rounds and that type of thing. And so the, the staff psychiatrist on call was the one that ended up seeing me. Um, and it was this very bizarre and strange experience, you know, sort of sitting in one of these beds, um, talking to somebody and having the questions asked that, you know, I could very easily picture myself in her yeah. position asking and being a like, different patient these questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, she was wonderful. Like, let yeah. me step in and then you move her out of the way and sit in her chair and ask in the direction where you were just sitting and then and then you come back and sit in your chair and you answer your own and then everyone's yeah. like Whoa. Yeah. Oh, I'd have a lot more problems. Yeah. Yeah. She's the wrong Yeah. Yeah. Well, I ultimately ended up being put on a form, which means form one. Form one. You guys know what a form one is. We learned about it yesterday. The ominous form one. The ominous form one. So I can't count the number of form ones I filled out for people. And then having one filled out for myself, I was like, this (laughs) is new. Was that, yeah, was that kind of surreal? Yeah, very. Yeah, I imagine I imagine it would be really hard to like give in to the process mm-hmm. too when you're when you when you almost know what's coming and you're yeah. you're like thinking about the process on the whole and and kind of watching it from that perspective rather than just being a patient mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it, having to I mean it, it's such a strange and and um, dehumanizing experience too like having to give away your phone and all of your belongings they lock it up you change into a gown they don't trust you to do anything you know there's all these yeah it's very strange um did they lock the door no it wasn't i mean it's a locked unit so i think if i had tried to leave they they wouldn't put you in a in a segregated room no okay no no but um the decision was made the following morning to to transfer me to a a more peripheral hospital where there weren't trainees so i really wouldn't have encountered anyone that i had known Mm. but lo and behold i show up there and wouldn't you know my roommate is a patient that i've had no shit yeah and um, thankfully it was somebody that I think was so out of it. They didn't recognize who I was, but the family, I definitely was like, holy Whoa. shit, I know who you people are. And I can just ima- picture her <laughs> seeing you and, and recognizing you and then like questioning if it's really you, oh, you know, dear. like, you're like if this, is, if this was my doctor. Oh, fuck that. Like, yeah, <laughs> they're like, Oh my God, bad. is it shut? Are we on shutter Island? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. but, but also kind of like to, to, to consider like your 
perspective on this too. Like I, I, I wonder what it would be like as a person who is, you know, able to be somewhat rational about and look at and look at the the process mm-hmm. and say, okay, I am sane, but also kind of, you know, succumbing to this depression. Was there moments where you were in there and you were like? Oh fuck! I I know I can manage this. I I should just leave. I'm gonna be fine. Or were mm-hmm. you just like, no fuck it? I need to be here. This is how I'm gonna get better. Yeah, I th- I that's a really good question. I think it was sometimes moment to moment, kind of having that debate in my own head. Um, because yeah, there. I mean, it, it just feels natural to sort of look at all the other people that are around you, also on this unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and compare yourself to them and think like, Jesus, I'm a psychiatrist. I should be able to snap out of it. You know, it's, it's this perception that we have in, in medicine, um, where the, the very characteristics, uh, personality wise that, that make us good doctors, like the sort of conscientiousness, the drive for perfectionism and control and everything are the, the very, um, characteristics that will sink you when you're unwell. Mm. Um, and which is funny because like you, it, it just like because you know that your patient can't snap out of it. Yeah, but yeah, but you, know. you have this other like you hold your yourself to a different standard yeah, to a which higher is so standard, which is un, totally unfair and unreasonable, right? Yeah. And and so yeah, I definitely have those moments where I was like, no, I need to get out of here. This is I, too creepy. I, I almost think of it in the sense that like, uh, so I had my appendix removed once, and when I went in, I was in. <clears> I think this, didn't like, wasn't no, it was Dennis that had his appendix removed. Well, oh, the, right. Your twin. Yeah. The yeah. hospital thinks. <laughs> Did they finally the, like get no, the ideas and you know changed? There's been somebody on Twitter who keeps reaching out to me and saying, they're did weird. you, did you call weird. yet? Did you call yet? For anyone who doesn't what? know, and Brian is a twin brother. <laughs> Brian got his appendix removed, but he used his brother's identity when it happened. <laughs> no, so so technically healthcare yeah, fraud, AKA yeah. you used his identity. <laughs> and so now on forms, it says that Dennis doesn't have an appendix, okay, but he does. Okay. And Dude, Brian what if Brian goes to jail for identity fraud? Oh jeez! Okay. Or Dennis needs his appendix out, and they're yeah. like, "Okay, it's already out. You don't have okay, one." Okay, but here's the thing: like, I wasn't committing. I mean, I obviously did something that I, I shouldn't have done. I should have just used my health card. I just didn't have mine with me, and I was in a lot of pain, so yeah. I took my brother's. You do what you need to do in okay, the moment. Okay, but oh yeah, this so, is a felony. It's a felony with uh, oh my okay, God, listen, life wow. sentence times three. Listen, so so <laughs> shit, Brian. I. This wasn't wasn't gonna. <laughs> this wasn't supposed to be about this, but uh, <laughs> while we're talking about it, um, I did try to. When I was reading these tweets from this person, I was like, "Oh fuck, I really need to do something." So I tried to call the hospital, and then it was ringing, and I was thinking, I was rehearsing in my head what I was gonna say, <laughs> and I was like, "No matter how I say this, it sounds like it sounds. Insane. I should go to jail. Like no, <laughs> like, it sounds like, like I committed jail, a crime. They, no, right? that'd be a funny story to tell somebody at the hospital. Mm, but just think about how you, what do you call it? Go, hey, look, um, so there's been this thing like 10 years ago where I used my brother's health card to have my appendix removed. And I just want, I'm trying to set the record straight on that. Dude, when you do, we need to film it and record yeah. every little bit. So that needs to be a like bonus content. Absolutely. Yeah. www.patreon.com slash sickboy. Subscribe to know so what the, happens. The point that I was, the separate point that, or, or uh, place I was going to take that is when I went into the hospital and I was experiencing this abdomin- abdominal pain, there was moments where it was really intense and... <clears throat> I was like, fuck, I just need to fix whatever's going on wrong inside of me. And then there would be this like 
period of it being okay for a second. Mm-hmm. And during that period where the physical pain stops, I'm like, I can oh, leave. I should just leave. You know, yeah. I should leave. I'm, I feel fine. But then all of a sudden it would flare up again. You feel this really intense pain. And like, I, I imagine that, that it's almost similar in the mental health side of things where there's like these moments of clarity where you're like, oh fuck, I just, I know I should be better mm-hmm. or not doing these things or whatever. But then all of a sudden you succumb to that, you know, subconscious or involuntary thought that just comes into your head and takes over. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that we have to realize that there's, there's nothing that you can do in that moment necessarily, or as far as I understand that can fix that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, I mean, is, is, is it as absurd to, to, for someone like yourself to go, wait a minute, I'm a psych, I'm a psychologist. Like I, a sorry, psychiatrist, I, I should be able to pull up my socks and get the fuck out of here. Like I'm not, I'm not supposed to be in here with them. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be out there. Mm-hmm. So I should just stop doing this. <laughs> to me, that sounds as silly as going, as being the oncologist going, wait, 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 I'm the oncologist and I don't, I shouldn't have this lung tumor. I'm going to, I'm going to pull up my socks and not have this tumor anymore and get back out there with them. Like it just, it, mm-hmm. it's not, we, we don't look at it that way when it comes to physical health, but for whatever yeah. fucking weird reason, we perceive the mental health. I think to the, be this I think the thing is, thing. I think the thing is though, is like as a patient, you're expecting that like when you go in to speak to someone about your mental health, um, they're using their brain <laughs> to like help you to aid you. So you kind of look at like, Oh, well if this person has this thing that's preventing their brain from working properly, quote unquote, then, mm-hmm. then is that hindering the, the help that I can get from them? Do you think that it's something like a perception like that, that's, that creates that stigma? Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's so many layers to it. And I think that's it. It's why the whole issue of, and physician health and wellness is kind of like, you know, a buzzword these days, but it really comes down to physician mental health, right? Because as you say, nobody has this sort of response or reaction to somebody with physical illness, right? And and that's difficult for for everybody, but there's another layer and a complexity that the mental health piece adds, and that goes for addiction or psychiatric illness or whatever, Mm. um, that that just doesn't exist in in the physical illness realm. And, um, And I think my frustration and experiences in training is that um, they're trying to address it more and more. And so residency programs have created sort of wellness programs and offices and stuff for, for people to, to seek out help. And, you know, they say, you know, help is, is available, but again, the onus is often on the person to then admit that they're struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, And we would get all these emails, you know, you know, I've had experiences where, um, not personally, but I know of um, physicians who have died by suicide, often on hospital property. And an oh. email goes out to everybody informing them that there has been this unfortunate and tragic event. Um, and here's a reminder of all of these services that you have available and, and all of these resiliency um, strategies. And then everybody just goes on with their life and, and the silence remains once more. Yeah, and, right. and the, and I, I, it's very like procedural. It is, yeah. And I appreciate that the resiliency is important. Um, and you know, the suggestion will be like, well, you should practice mindfulness or take up yoga or you know, eat better, and and all of those things are important. But it suggests that um, 
the burden of responsibility is on the individual person. Like there's something that you're not doing to mm. care for yourself to cause this, right. or, you know, it's, it's one more thing in my 80 hour work week. I have to figure out an hour where I do yoga now, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and to feel yeah. even more, <clears throat> um, inferior and, uh, and inadequate where as there's so many systemic issues and cultural issues, um, within medicine that, that need to be addressed that, you know, there's no easy answer. And I'm, I'm certainly not, coming on here with with the idea that I have it but um that's often ignored and I think a very important piece Mm -hmm. I want to come sorry um something that that kind of popped up and we 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 got away from it and now um I wanted to ask is uh I'm just gonna I took a little note here I just want to make sure that I remember it correctly hold your phone close enough to your face there Taylor so it recognizes your face since you got the iPhone 10 now I got it it recognizes Um, faces it does. Oh, it has God. a face recognition. So that's Listening how it, that's how to it unlocks. you, looking at you. Mm, big yeah. brother. It's always She's watching. always there. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, you have, uh, you have a, a child and a husband. And mm-hmm. um, if you, if you, I'm not sure if you were with your husband when you were going through all this stuff. I was single. You were single. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay. So I was yeah, going to because otherwise he would have been like, babe. <laughs> I was going to ask. Where are all the fucking plastic bags? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> right. Well, how am I supposed to go to grocery shopping? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to, I was going to ask what your communication was like with your husband at the time or yeah. who you were with, but you weren't with, you weren't with him. Yeah. Then, yeah. Think. And I think, I mean, social support, um, is, is a huge piece of uh, like a protective factor. And, and often, <laughs> you know, when mental health professionals are asking patients about suicide, um, it's, it's especially scary if somebody, say, has children or has a spouse and still wants to end their life, mm-hmm. right? Like if they're no longer a source of protection, um, you know, that's really concerning. Does it spe- does that speak to like the level of, of risk, the level of risk? Yeah, right. yeah absolutely. And what was you like? So sense. if not your husband was a, was or or a relationship that you were in, mm-hmm. um, did you have any? Did you have any like familial support or friendship support in terms of like, like who did you, who did you speak to outside of or did you speak to anybody outside of like professional help? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did have all of, you know, all of those supports. But in the moment, you know, when the depression was was so strong, I it didn't ma- None of that mattered. Yeah. Yeah which is really, and yeah, it's, it's very strange right. to think about being in a, a healthy place right now, thinking back on, you know, being in that mindset. Um, it's very powerful and hard to convey to people who haven't experienced it, but, um, it, that's what none makes of that depression, mattered. depression. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what makes it so, so hard. Yeah. What about, what about talking to your, uh, husband, like when you started dating him and, mm-hmm. and talking about your, your past experience with depression, did, mm-hmm. did you bring that up like kind of early on in the relationship or? <laughs> It wasn't my first, opening line. Yeah, first date. First date. Hey, uh, just so you know, uh, I don't have any some plastic dark bags at home. Yeah. And here's why. <laughs> no more phenobarb. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah, I didn't mention that for, for quite some time, um, but it eventually came out and, you know, he was understanding and, and concerned and wanted to learn about it. And I think um, is, is pretty mindful, as am I, of the potential for recurrence because depression, unfortunately, is, is one of those things that people often <clears throat> don't just have one episode in their life, right? right. It, it can come back. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> just to be aware of, again, those potentially early signs so it doesn't get to that point. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you get transferred to this uh, hospital. I mean, the, 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 we're like barely getting through the story because yeah. there's so much to unpack with like... 
and I find this always happens when we, we mm-hmm. touch on depression or mental health issues, but um, it's one of, it's one of the reasons why it's my favorite types of conversations to get into. Um, but you were transferred to a hospital that had no connections to your education and the, and your, your sort of workplace. Yeah. Um, what happened there? What was the, what was the sort of outcome? Yeah. So I, I think I was there for about a week. Um, they had made some medication changes. So at, at the time that this all happened, I was, um, taking antidepressant medication. I think I was only on just one at that time. And then they, um, added another one that was actually quite helpful and sort of <clears throat> changed doses of things. And I think it was over the May long weekend I was there and, and I had had a, a pass basically off of the unit to go home. Um, and felt, and I don't know what changed honestly, but just felt a little bit more hopeful and less, um, adhered to this idea that my life needed to be over. And Ooh. so, um, you know, was confident in an, in my outpatient sort of supports and my, my psychiatrist that I could sort of continue on. And I, um, was discharged and I think I still had about a month off of, of residency after that. And then I returned in July and, um, was, you know, had a smooth transition back relatively. So, mm-hmm. yeah. How has this all affected the way that you, you do your job? Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a good question. Um, I think I think anything that that we experience that kind of humbles us um, allows us to better treat and and relate to people. Um, so I certainly wouldn't wish depression on anyone, um, but I, I do think it has made me a better doctor, a better psychiatrist. Um, and the funny thing is, is that I I, I don't actually bring it up to my patients like no one except for one person so in addition to the the work that I do with the 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 veterans um because of my experience I've I have also an interest in um physician mental health so I have other physicians and and medical students and residents as patients Mm -hmm. um and so I think one of them does know you know that I've had sort of this history but for the vast majority of patients that I see nobody knows so it's not like Mm -hmm. I'm disclosing that to yeah. them and you don't want to make it about yourself in these interactions but um it it gives you sort of a relatability that Ooh, you know yeah. i think you can have as much empathy and compassion and knowledge um and and that would make you a, a fantastic physician and psychiatrist but there's this other level of you know having been there that yeah. yeah your experience is informing the way that you are communicating yeah. with, your, with your patients yeah and i think you know there, there's often this <laughs> divide of sort of us versus them like psychiatrist versus patient and um you know we're all human beings at the end of the day and and equally affected by this stuff like the humanity kind of cuts through everything mm-hmm. and so to be able to relate in a more um humane you know down to earth way with people is really what what i strive to do so i think it's it's made me a better doctor yeah it's kind of like uh if you have a like a hockey coach that has played hockey before then they have a different you know a different capacity of understanding the game and relating to the actual feel of playing Mm -hmm. compared to a hockey coach who might just purely be strategic has never personally played the game themselves but has just studied it from you know mm-hmm. that that perspective. Yeah. It doesn't mean that the person who hasn't played the game is going to be a bad coach. 
Um, but it just, I think actually experiencing it gives us different level of relatability. Mm. Absolutely. It's kind of like, uh, when you are an actor and you're dealing with a director who used to act, it's the same thing, you know, it's Dude. like you get mm. to have this, uh, now it's your turn. I feel like it's like, um, uh, swimming teams. Like how somebody who swam. Yeah, before, can't use sports, dude. You can't use coaches. Uh, I, just, you know, yeah, no. I feel like it's kind of like a, uh, like a music uh, <laughs> right. uh, teacher who yes. used to play the instrument. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. Rather than just study the classical history of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah like a conductor who really knows. No, no, how no. You to just play use music. Flute. You can't tailor. <laughs> you can't right. get your own idea. Okay. Yeah. It's like, it's like a computer engineer who uses computers. It's like a. I don't it's think like, Tay gets it. It's uh, like a biologist who used to be a a, a tiger. Like right. a, they were born a really a, a understands tiger. the biology of the tiger. <laughs> they evolved yeah, into an a human. An animorph. Yeah, and then right, it's an animorph right. compared to like a, just a regular. Like professor. an author who reads books. Okay. All right. All right. All right. That's exactly like that. that. No, not like that. That would be weird yeah. for an author to not read books. Um, <laughs> So I, I'm I. This is a question that I'm sure you know. We ask a lot of the the guests that we have on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, what has your your experience with depression? Um, what has it taken away from you? Hmm. Um, it's taken away. I'll be maybe a bit more literal than some of the other guests. It's it's taken away a smooth transition to independent practice as a psychiatrist. So um, a, a blessing and a curse for physicians with, and I think it goes for every province, but certainly within Ontario. Um, if you've taken time off of your, your training and residency for um, any reason that smells of mental health or, or substance use problems. Um, the, the college of physicians and surgeons of Ontario, which is kind of the regulatory body, mm-hmm. um, will sort of flag you. And, oh, wow. um, you know, they, they do this in the interest of the public because sure, of they don't really at the end of the day care about us <laughs> all that much, but it's, mm-hmm. it's really to protect the public. And I understand that. Um, but they, you know, have the power to kind of mandate that we'll give you your license, but you have to do X, Y, Z. So because of my history with depression, um, I am enrolled in this monitoring program with the physician health program through the Ontario Medical Association. And, um, it, you know, it, it provides certain things and, and offers kind of support, um, and also at the same time, I had a really hard uh, go of accepting it because um, it, it feels penalizing and stigmatizing. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I recognize that I was suffering and I took time out to to address, you know, my, my mental health. Um, and I'm doing really well now. But in order to be able to practice, um, I have to be in this program where you know they they sort of keep tabs on you a bit and and somebody in your workplace has to know about your history Mm. and report to them about how they think you're doing is this indefinite for um no it so it's for two years for me i think for people who you know say have um an alcohol problem or are addicted to opioids or whatever it tends to be about five years but they it depends on how the person goes yeah kind of of wild though because it almost um 
uh, deters you from seeking help. Right, right. And that's the fear. Like, yeah. I think the, right. the physicians that practice in that, they're psychiatrists, they're addiction medicine physicians, they're 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 wonderful and they're they're coming from you know a, a place of wanting to to help physicians be as well as they can to practice but it's tied to this regulatory body you know right that has this right. reporting and and all of this stuff so you can imagine that you know it's, it's one of um the big deterrents for people um to seek out help is the fear that it's going to have repercussions for them professionally mm-hmm. so you didn't but and by that independent practice you didn't mean that you didn't mean that having a, a, a history of mental illness excludes you from being able to like open up a, your own practice. It doesn't. But but say if I had said, you know, no, I'm not comfortable with enrolling into this program, they may not have given me my license. Right. Mm. OK. Yeah. And it's so for somebody, say, again, who has diabetes or cancer or whatever, there's there's no such thing. And, no. and maybe there's right. not as much impact on your kind of judgment and emotion yeah, right. and, and yeah. stuff, but well, yeah. Maybe, yeah. I see, I see both maybe. sides. I see both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Sides. yeah. And again, it's, it's, I, I understand they, they have their place and, and they're very, very helpful, um, in certain circumstances. And, and yet there's this sense of, I feel like I'm being punished for yeah. seeking out help. Ooh. Um, and so it's, it's made the road that much more rocky. Perhaps there's another way that isn't quite the way that they yeah. do right now. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe like, what if there was a more, um, uh, like regular screening for everybody just to like mm-hmm. check in with them and see how their mental health is doing and monitoring people that way. Because, uh, as, as we all know, like, uh, um, it could just take one, mm-hmm incident for your mental health to be significantly impacted and you might like like you were saying michelle like you had basically a history like almost no history of mental health issues Mm -hmm. until you dealt with a couple significant emotional challenges or traumas so Mm -hmm. like how do we know that there's not other physicians out there who just didn't lose one of their closest family members or loved ones and and now all of a sudden they're their decisions are being affected by their emotional trauma that they're going through. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think it, it it would be almost beneficial for there to be like some type of regular screening for everybody. Sure. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's viable effectively for time, money, you know, But you're gonna have and to I hire a team answer. of I'm accountants to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. The Ontario government's gonna spend eighty million dollars just trying to figure out if it would <laughs> if it would if it would make sense cost wise. Well it would create yeah. a job for somebody though. That's Dude, true. Well there you go. Job uh, creation. Well, I mean we could even fake just news make, it, make a robot. Fake news. <laughs> uh, what would you say that your your experience with depression has given you? Mm, I think it probably comes back to what we were touching on before that um ability to, uh, relate to patients, um, on a different level. Mm. Um, and again, it's not something that I ever or or rarely will share with them, but something that I, I sort of reflect, uh, reflect on myself. And I think it, the sort of, um, ability to be humbled by the fact that anyone can be affected by this. Uh, it doesn't, um, you know, it just because, we've gone to school for X number of years and, and have this sort of level of success and, and professionalism, you know, we're, we're arguably more affected by, <clears throat> by some of these things than the general population. Um, and, uh, and, and just to, to have that humility, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, Michelle, thank you. This, this really, really means a lot. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I think it's wonderful what you guys are, are doing. That means a lot coming from a doctor. <laughs> you know no, I think, I mean, I think people, people need to, to sort of have the ability to be vulnerable and have these conversations. And it, it, it often doesn't happen unless there's people kind of paving the way and going first. And that's exactly what you guys are doing. So. Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's also what, what you're doing by coming on here and talking about <laughs> yeah. your, uh, Absolutely. your story too. So. Well, it was funny on the train here. I was like more anxious about this conversation than like my medical school interviews and stuff. <laughs> and not because of you guys but just like wow i'm actually gonna say this out loud and like mm-hmm. patients may be listening other Ooh. physicians may be listening but mm-hmm. it needs to be said and and everyone needs to take care of themselves yeah. well hopefully it, 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 it if there's any physicians out there that are going that are dealing with like something in this realm that it gives them the permission to to speak up about it and mm-hmm. and, and find some help if they think that you know it might you know, they are harboring those feelings of it impacting their career or whatever it is mm-hmm. that you're giving them permission to, to do that as well. I was just looking at how much you were registering there on the, Oh, because, the sound. because I'm, uh, cause because, you're, you, the, you just, <clears> because my voice, okay, I'm, I'm I'll project. <laughs> yeah. Dude, maybe. It's, so funny. it's actually, it's just so funny to watch. Cause I'm like, here, he, he's starting, here he goes. And then he starts talking and then, which is crazy. Cause I have the ability to be very loud at the same time. I know, yeah, I know absolutely. You do. You do. Um, well, thanks again, Michelle. Yeah, no, thank, you. thank you guys. And thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode as always. And uh, the, these little like end things, we say them over and over again at the end of the episodes, and I'm sure that most people just stop listening by this point. But if you haven't stopped listening, this we've got a very important announcement. Super, it's coming, super it's, important. and we're only going to say it in a minute and a half. So say everything else before right. we say that really important announcement. Well, this right. is all lead up to get people ready for it. The first thing right. is yeah, yeah. Uh, rate, subscribe, review on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. The second thing is if you want to financially support us. Well, you can go over to patreon.com slash sickboy. How do you spell that? Uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot C-O-M slash S-I-C-K-B-O-Y. And we use some of that money, or I'm putting some of that money towards uh, the sessions I have with my voice coach so I can learn how to project more. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that you should be doing that. Actually, um, we should invest. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know what? Thankfully, Taylor, we don't need to spend money on that because we already have this amazing sound design guy's name's Donovan the Meerkat Morgan and he can actually fix your he'll levels just, yeah, a little bit. He'll oh. jack so up the gain. And he just turns you up. So it sounds a little bit like grainy when oh, you're talking perfect. because hey, hey, we Donovan. have to turn you up so high. Hey, Donovan, can you just uh, turn me up a little bit? The, hard, the other hard thing is that when you mumble, it's really hard to like, you know, cut cut those words up to make them sound sharp. Donovan, can you make sharp. me sound like a lion? <laughs> okay. All right. He's not he's not Jesus Christ. And, uh, and that big announcement's coming up really soon. But uh, but before that big announcement, I just want to say thank you to Take Part for the theme music. Takepartinthis.bandcamp.com if you want to hear more of their songs. All right. Well, here it is. Here's the announcement. Looks like we're going to have to leave the big announcement till next week. No, no. I have it right here. Uh, drum roll, please. That is it for this week. I'm Brian, I'm Taylor, and I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.